We're in the middle of a series of messages that we've entitled Holy Habits. It's uh, several weeks uh, of discipleship training, of, of us understanding uh, some of those uh, uh, spiritual disciplines that are paramount. They're at the foundation of uh, the, the parts in which we play in, in, in Christian walking. In learning to be more like Jesus, there's some things that we learn to do or don't learn to do and need to learn to do to continue in a daily growth factor uh, in, in becoming more and more every single day at becoming more like Jesus Christ. Last week we talked uh, specifically about the, uh, the discipline of prayer and we looked specifically at Jesus' uh, model of prayer that we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. And I don't know about you, but uh, this week as I've gone through some of my normal prayer times, especially uh, with our kids before bed, something that I cherish in my heart that I get to do most nights. And as I was spending that time in prayer, there's so often uh, that it just becomes uh, monotony, right? It's just a, a thing that I say, just a momentary, uh, Lord, thanks for the day. Thanks for what you're, uh, what you're doing. Please uh, help them not to get eaten by bed bugs. Those kinds of prayers. We don't have bed bugs, I hope. Uh, but I spent some time this week in those moments because of this focus we've had in the last week, uh, in this discipline of prayer, in learning to uh, make this a holy habit, in, in, in spending more time thanking God for who he is in those prayers, in, in honoring, hallowing, uh, lifting up his holy name in those moments. And I hope the Lord has done the same in your life this past week. This morning, we're going to talk about worship. The word worship is one of those words that instantly, if you've uh, had any time, any experience in, in, in the church, chances are uh, you've spent time believing that, living that, uh, uh, that idea that worship is little more than the songs that we sing, right? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We, uh, we as a staff, every week, we pass around this uh, order of service. And uh, on, on this order of service, we have this time. Uh, uh, this is something that I, I, I developed. And, and there's this little time as a part of this Sunday morning experience that's labeled worship. And there's three songs listed there as a part of worship because it's so natural for us as the American church to assume that the songs that we sing, the, that time of this service, we, we try to use the language in, a, in, in the right way, oftentimes in, in, in this experience on Sunday mornings. We try to remind ourselves, we try to uh, use the right words in expressing that all that we do is an act of worship. But really, when it boils down, we, at the core, we think that the songs that we sing, whether we like them or not, and in fact, we're going to go home today, probably, and we're going to have this conversation around the table, some of us. We're going to say which, which one of the uh, worship songs we liked. Which one of the worship songs was our, our favorite. And oftentimes that's how we've boiled down the subject of worship as Christians in, in that idea of coming before the Lord with a song. In fact, the subject of worship is so far deeper than that that we have to Go back to the drawing board. We have to go back to the basics and understand what worship truly is. The Hebrew word that's used throughout the Old Testament to acknowledge that word that we use for worship has a really unique definition that means to fall down, to lay down in humble reverence. 
I didn't look around today, but during our acts of worship, I, I don't know that we did that Old Testament definition of worship. In the New Testament, the, uh, the, the word that's translated as worship has a very similar definition, but it adds in this, this aspect, this literal uh, word picture of, of kissing someone's hand. Kissing their hand in adoration, in respect, in, in reverence. It's interesting, right? Interesting how we as the American church have really uh, boiled down the definition of worship to music when in the Old and New Testament, the word translated really doesn't focus on music at all. Could it be that when God designed worship, he had much more in mind than music? Sure, let's acknowledge God has gifted uh, some people to sing. And some people better than others. Not everyone who can sing can sing. Can I hear an amen? Don't elbow the person next to you. God has gifted some people to sing and make a joyful noise to the Lord with their voice. God has gifted others to pick up uh, instruments and play wonderfully. The talents that he has given them. A knowledge that they have To learn to play an instrument, it's beautiful. But is worship really boiled down to instruments, singing? But what about artistic display? Some of you have been a part of our services here at Hyde Wesleyan Church where we've experienced some of the artistic beauty and worship of one of our guys, Steve Albert. He's an artist and he's drawn some things and painted some things on stage as an act of worship. Is worship simply singing instruments, are artistic opportunities, or is it far, far more? What if, what if we're not very artistic? What if all of our wonderful artistic renderings are little more than stick figures? What, what if our only musical ability is to ask Google to play a specific song? <laughs> what if the only instrument we know how to play is the car stereo? If God meant for worship to be all about music or arts, then wouldn't he have made us all great singers and artists? Some of us in in this room like to sing, right? Some of you in this room don't like the person who likes to sing. Some of you don't like to sing, and that's okay. Some of, some of us, like me, I, I like to sing at specific times in my life, and, and at other times, other seasons, I don't necessarily like to sing. If worship was only music, how would the rest of us engage? Would we simply be out of the equation? Would we not have opportunity to worship God? The truth is, you know this, worship is far more than music. Let's look again together as a church at what it means to worship God with our whole selves. And I think there's some impact that this makes upon us individually in reminding us what it means to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, why it is we are to come into his presence, what it means to do that. And it also does something impacting to us as a congregation. As a local church, to take a step back and to understand and to acknowledge again, this is something, this is the training we need to have again and again as a church, that worship isn't simply the music that we sing. When approaching the subject of worship as a church, Psalm 100 
is a most often referred to passage of Scripture. It's, most, it's one of the most well-known psalms in Scripture. It's only five verses, so it's pretty easy to memorize that as a kid. Psalm 100 is often memorized. In the, in the Bible, if you think of the whole book of Psalms, in the middle of your Bible as a, like an ancient hymn book, Psalm 100 is one of those sacred, holy hymns. We don't have a lot of details about Psalm 100 like we do uh, some of the other Psalms in the book of Psalms. We don't know exactly who authored it. We don't know exactly what time frame it was written, but we do know some things about Psalm 100 that are important for us today. Look with me at Psalm 100 this morning. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn there. It'll also be on the screen. And again, if you have the Bible app, you can follow along with the outline this morning. Psalm 100. Listen to God's word. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Would you bow your heads with me again? Jesus, I ask that you would add your, your work, your action to the reading of your word. Would you, Lord, help us to apply these verses to our lives today and every day. Thank you. Thank you for your living word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to jump in to Psalm 100. It'll be on the screen for you uh, for most of the message. I, I hope you'll take time to uh, look at it, take some notes, scribble some things. Um, when I was growing up, we weren't allowed to write in our Bibles. It was like we weren't, these, these were books that you're not supposed to write in. Um, thankfully, I don't know when that happened in my life, that things transitioned and I began to take notes inside my Bible. I would invite you to do the same. Your Bible should be a gift to your family one day. Write some things in it. Psalm 100, jump right in. The first thing worth noting in this passage, and probably in any passage that we study, is the, the who, right? The characters uh, uh, that are uh, revealed to us in the narrative. Here in Psalm 100, who is the subject of our worship? According to Psalm 100, who is the one we should be worshiping? Is, is it something? Is it an entity? Is it a church? Is it a, a, an idol? No. You'll notice it is the Lord that we are to worship. If you have a printed Bible this morning, chances are in your translation, whatever translation you have in front of you, uh, the word Lord, as it's printed in your Bible, is in small caps. You see that? The word Lord uh, in the Old Testament and most often is referred to when we see the word Lord and it is in small caps. It's actually a translation of the Hebrew word that we say as Yahweh. It's interesting to note this. I don't know if you've ever been taught this. In the Old Testament, when you see the word Lord, what is being spoken there is the most holy name of God 
in Scripture. It's the name God gave of himself to Moses as he revealed himself to Moses. Now, now God has revealed himself in numerous ways. We have lots of names of God throughout Scripture, and each of them is really a descriptor of some of his character. But here, when you see the name of the Lord written as Lord in small caps, it's the name Yahweh, the great I Am, Savior, King. To answer the why we are to worship the Lord, we have to look continually through this passage of Scripture. This is who God is at His core. This is a reality that we are to worship God because He is God. God. Yahweh. This word translated in the Old Testament is so, uh, such a revered word in the Jewish culture that they wouldn't even speak this name. In fact, as it's written in all, all the Hebrew manuscripts, the, the, the name doesn't even include any vowels because it is a reminder of the holiness. We, we have tried to translate it as Yahweh because we feel like we need a word to say, but we don't even understand the hugeness of this aspect of God. So we know the who. The direction of the worship is be to God, Yahweh. Second thing worth noting is who is to do the worshiping. Verse 1 again says all of the earth, all of creation is meant to give worship to God. Not just the Hyde Wesleyan Church on Sunday mornings. Not, not just those who are involved in uh, church worship in Clearfield, Pennsylvania. Uh, not just the American church, not just the worldwide church. And in fact, the scripture, Psalm 100 says, all of creation is to worship Yahweh. I think it's an interesting thought. There, there's a great scene in the Bible that reminds us of uh, the hugeness of this reality. It comes from Luke chapter 19. We often refer to this passage as the triumphal entry where Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and uh, people have gathered. Those who are pro-Jesus in these uh, moments are singing his praises. They're shouting. They're throwing palm branches down and their clothing in front of him. And he's entering into the city and people are singing his praises. Look at Luke chapter 19. Verses 36 to 40. As Jesus rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Verse 38, here's what they're saying. Blessings are on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among that same crowd said, Teacher, they said this to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying such blasphemous things like that. Jesus replies, if they would keep quiet, the stones along the roadway would burst into cheers. All of creation sings, shouts in worship to our God. Have you ever really thought about what that really means? Do, do, do you get this? Every sunset you've ever seen, have you ever just gone, oh, more so sunsets than sunrises. Anybody else? <laughs> sunrises, I'm like, what am I doing? Oh. Sunsets. Every sunrise 
Every sunset, every beautiful sky, every blue sky, every cloud that looks like Mickey Mouse, all of that is in worship of God. The sun worships God. What about a bird chirp? You ever been out in the field, out in the woods, whatever? You heard a bird singing beautifully. I mean, we've all heard birds singing not beautifully or birds that have woken us up and we don't like those birds. All of creation, the noises of nature, the beauty of creation, even in its broken state because of sin, is praising, is worshiping God the Creator. So what part do we play in this all the earth, all of creation participating in worship? It's not, again, just in song or music. The psalm reflects worship as a series of actions. Notice in the parts of speech we have these verbs throughout Psalm 100. You remember what verbs are, right, from fourth grade? I don't know what grade it was. Verbs are parts of speech that require action. They tell us about action, right? These verbs go on in Psalm 100. Uh, Verbs like shout, come, acknowledge, know, enter, go, and give. Uh, None of those verbs in and of themselves are hard, are they? Let's look at some of them. Shout. Shout as a verb of worship. Do we know how to shout? Yeah. Do Do we shout very often as we worship? I would say in the church, we don't do it very often, right? We're, we're good Wesleyans this morning. You guys are like, if he makes us shout, I am out of here. <laughs> well, we don't do it very often as a form of worship. We don't raise our voices here in the church very often. But man, put us in the Super Bowl and let the Patriots lose. We're going to be doing some shouting of praise, right? Take us to a Pirates game or a Steelers game. We, we know, right? We're a, we're a shouting culture. We know how to raise our voices after we sing loudly. We are Penn State. We're good at shouting praise for people, for things. That's how our worship should be. Not just shouting because we're supposed to raise our, our voices. The psalmist says, not just for shouting's sake, but to shout for joy. Verses 1 and 2, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him, singing with joy. You should have an attitude of shouting with joy because you have a Savior. If you have been bought with a price today, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your life should be shouting with joy. Why is it, church, that much of the world sees Christianity this way? When Psalm 100 It tells me I should be shouting with gladness and joy in my heart. Second verb, acknowledge. To know, right? The the New Living Translation says to acknowledge. 
the Lord is good. Do you know today that the Lord is good, that He is faithful? Do you know? Not just know because it's uh, something that you've studied for a test on, but you know in your heart of hearts, you know, as Pastor Bob uh, talked about a little bit this morning, that you know whose you are, that He is God, that He is good. Do you have a testimony this morning in your heart and life of His ability, His goodness? I, I can't share all the details of everything that happens here at Hyde Wesleyan Church through the week, but let, let me tell you a little part of a story this week. I spent a couple hours with a brother of ours this week in, in a dark season of life. Broken. Let me tell you, as your pastor, I, I sat with this brother of ours and I just cried with him because I didn't know what else to do. We're broken together. Facing life's stuff, the brokenness of, of, of life was crumbling in around, and we just shared a couple hours together of just, just being. Before we left that time together, I, I prayed really the only thing I knew to pray for anymore. I prayed for the peace that surpasses all understanding to be His. And I prayed it hoping. That God truly could do what God can do and heal and reveal himself to mend brokenness, to provide. The next day, I kind of went back to business as usual, right? Got back into the office, going through the rituals of the day. Work, 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 busy, busy, busy. Phone calls, sermon writing, doing what needed to be done. And later in the afternoon, that same brother showed back up at my office. And he came through the door of my office with the same tear-stricken face, the same red eyes, but there was a smirk on his face. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and even as I recount this interaction, I've got to tell you, God is so good. This brother came through my office and he said to me, Pastor, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I can't not tell you about it. And what was hopeless became super hopeful. What was broken is mended a little bit. That brother knows that God is good. Even when life is not good. Even when the world is crumbling around us. He knows who his God is. He experienced that peace we had prayed for the night before. He knew in his heart because of the relationship he has with our Lord, that the Lord is God and that he is not. Knowledge of God being God is a, a knowledge for us not to simply know what God is and who God is. It's for us to know our place under God's ability. If God is God and we are not, we have to die to that selfishness that our culture is permeated with. 
Our culture that says you should have what you want, when you want it, how you want it, and if you don't, something's wrong. We got to die to that and acknowledge a knowledge of God's ability, God's timing, God's way, God's will. Knowing is acknowledging who God is as creator and father. The psalmist goes on. Verse 3, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Often in the Old Testament, we have that picture of uh, us as sheep and God and Jesus in the New Testament as the great shepherd. And it, it conjures up all these wonderful little images, right, that we paint of Jesus as a shepherd picking up these cute little lambs, holding them in his hands and petting them. Doesn't everyone love being a sheep? I don't. I don't, I don't know why God chose to refer to us as, as sheep. I mean, there's lots of better animals that I would have liked for God to refer to us as in Psalm 100. I'd, I'd rather be referred to as a killer whale. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If not a killer whale, maybe a kangaroo. Kangaroo can put a hurting on something. I want to be a kangaroo. Refer to me. Uh, I would like to be a kangaroo of his outback. He refers to us as his people, sheep of his pasture. It, it's kind of a, an animal that's kind of like, yeah, sheep, really? Really, God? They're not very exciting. They're, they're kind of easily scared if you watch videos of them. They're defenseless creatures. Sometimes they're even stinky. And isn't it just like God? To identify some of the same characteristics of you and me when he refers to us as sheep. Those same things. Easily scared. Defenseless. Stinky. That's us, isn't it? Verse 4, God's people, his sheep, are commanded to enter his gates with thanksgiving, to go into his courts with praise. And we, we write songs about that kind of thing, to give thanks to him, to praise his name. And when we use this phrase, we use this verse very often as the church, and we make these songs that conjure up, again, these feelings of warm fuzzies. Like we as his sheep, we're protected by him and he, he, he wants to hold us and pick us up when, we're, when we're, we're calling out to him. We have these beautiful Hallmark Lifetime movie pictures. In the 1950s, missionary Jim Elliott wrote a pretty starkly contrasting reality in reference to this part of Psalm 100 in his book, Shadow of the Almighty. If you remember, Jim Elliott is a missionary who surrendered his life as he was reaching people for Jesus. He dismisses that picture we've built for ourselves of pretty little sheep. Listen to his words in this paragraph. What are the sheep doing going into the gate? What is their purpose inside those courts according to Scripture? Is it to bleat melodies and enjoy the company of the flock? Nope. Those sheep were destined for the altar. Their 
pasture feeding has been for one purpose, to test them and fatten them for bloody sacrifice. Give God thanks then that you have been counted worthy of his altar. Enter into the work of life with praise, saying, Father, take my life, yes, my blood, if you will, and consume it with your enveloping fire. I would not save it, for it is not mine to save. Have it, Lord. Have it all. Pour out my life as a living sacrifice for the world. Blood is only of value as it flows before your altar. End quote. With worship, you and I may desire to come before God in this act of worship to hopefully receive a warm and fuzzy experience, to say, oh, that was my favorite song. I love the way she sings that. I love the way he sings that. I love the way he doesn't sing that. We may desire for our favorite. When it comes on the radio, we may desire for that warm fuzziness that comes. But the reality of what it means to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our act of worship is to be self-sacrifice, dying to ourself, giving up my will, my way, my desires, my self for more of God. Let me say it again. Worship is not for you, it is not for me, it is not for us, it is for him. He deserves our sacrifice of praise. Romans 12, Paul writes to early Christians, verse 1, brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let your bodies Be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Our worship isn't for us to feel good about. Rather, it's an opportunity for you and me to lay ourselves down at God's altar. That's why we enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. We have been forgiven much. We who have been bought with the precious blood of Christ should have no other response than to die to ourselves and live for him. Verse 5 wraps up and reminds us of the why again this morning. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. His faithfulness continues to each generation. Soak it in again, Hyde Wesleyan. The Lord is good. He loves you. So much so that he sacrificed it all for you and me. My response 
to his sacrifice is so broken. But it should be. Full surrender. Total surrender. A death to my desires, my preferences, my favorites, and an asking of what He wants of me. The Lord's love is unfailing. It is unending. His perfect love is always available, always full, always there for you and for me today and every day. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, you know the heart of every single person in this room. Of everyone hearing the words of this message today, you know them intimately. And you are worthy of their worship. And God, I pray that as we are trained to flex this worship muscle, as we learn to worship you according to your desire, not ours. God, I pray that today you would help us to go back to basics and to surrender ourselves as living sacrifices to the Holy God, Yahweh, Yahweh. Lord, if there is someone here today that has maybe been distracted by the ways of the world, by the temptations of the enemy, if they have lost sight of their true love, of the one who gave it all, Lord, would you receive them back? As the father of the prodigal son, we believe, Lord, we know that you are standing with open arms for any who would turn from their way and ask for the forgiveness of their father. God, would that happen today in this room? Would that miraculous transformation be realized here in this place. Church, if God has done a work in your heart and life, if he is transforming you every day, if he is making you new today, we invite you to participate in this closing act of worship we call communion. We serve open communion here at Hyde Wesleyan Church to any who would say that the Lord is their Lord. Not perfected, but being perfected. 
made righteous because of the blood of Jesus. In just a moment, I'll come off the stage and remind you what it means to receive into your life the grace of Jesus Christ. In just a few moments, you're invited to come to the center aisle or these two outside aisles. Come forward, receive the elements of communion, and head back to the outside section. If you would experience the Lord's grace in your life, we invite you to come and receive elements of juice and bread representing the blood and body of our Lord Jesus Christ. His sacrifice has made possible that you can live for him. Allow me to pray. Jesus, in these moments that follow, would you continue to do a work in our lives? Would you use these elements of juice and bread as a way of transformation in our lives? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took...